0: are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want to speak to you for a moment. How can a man be just with God? How can a man be just with God? a tremendous question. And my, my my subject is found in Job 9 and verse 2. It might be wise if you wrote at the top of page uh, uh, 1194 in your school field at Romans 3, it might be wise for you to write Job 9 verse 2. And in that verse, Job the righteous man that he was cried out, How can a man be just with God? Now Job cried that question and asked that question because uh, he was being indicted and accused of being a hypocrite by three of his friends. And you know the record uh, in the book of the Job. Uh, of Job uh, three of his friends came to him, and one by one, each one said the same thing. You are a hypocrite. And they concluded that he was a hypocrite because he had trouble. He lost uh, uh, ten children. Uh, all his property was taken away. And the people concluded, therefore, that he was not a righteous man and that he was, that uh, revenge was taken up, catching up with him. And Job knew all the time that he was a righteous man, a godly man. As far as I'm concerned, when the curtain rises in Job chapter 1, it rises upon God's man, a godly man, a saved man. I don't think Job's a bit more saved after God gives him other children than he was before he lost his original family. I believe Job was saved all the time, and God allowed the devil to sift him and try him. But three of his friends concluded, because of the trial, that he was not right with God. And if you ever have uh, some adversity in your life, or some trial in your life, I'll guarantee somebody will jump to the same conclusion. Uh, In the my own life, I had people write to me and they said, "Uh, We thought you was a hypocrite. Now we are sure you were. We don't think you ever have been right with God. You wouldn't think people would hit a man uh, with that kind of indictment when his heart is heavy and broken by death and by uh, tragedy or by adversity, but some people are heartless. And they'll bring that charge against it, just as Job's three friends said, "We believe that you're a hypocrite." Now Job said, you say, "You say, you judge me as being a hypocrite." He said, "Now the burden is upon you. How can a man be just with God?" Job knew all the time that he was just with God, but his three friends concluded that he wasn't. And so Job said, "The responsibility now is upon you to point out to me how I can be just with God." Now, I'd like to answer that question tonight to the best of my ability. uh, How can a man be just with God? Now, if I were to go downtown to the shopping center in Calhoun or uh, Dalton and and stop a dozen people on the street, and I'd say to those, tell me how a man can be just with God, I would suspect I'd get a dozen different answers. Somebody would say, well, uh, I've asked a Roman Catholic, he'd say, go to Mass Sunday morning, and he'll take the Mass and eat the Mass, and now... Until the priest administers stream unction, you'll go to heaven when you die. But my soul, that's not the answer. If I ask for Camelite uh, in the shopping center, how can a man be just with God? He'd say, well, go down to the river and let the preacher baptize you in the name of Jesus, and you can go to heaven when you die. But my soul, that's not the answer. I don't think the waters of baptism has ever washed away one guilty stain from one sinner's life. And you know that. But you'd get that answer if you asked many people. Somebody would come up with that idea. If you ask a Seventh-day Adventist, why, he'd say, Worship on Saturday and refrain from eating pork. And if you're not eating pork you worship on Saturday, when you come to die, keep the law, do the best you can. When you come to die, you can go to heaven. Well, I'm not satisfied with that answer. It may be as sincere as an answer can be, but it's as wrong, it's as unscriptural as any answer I might get. I remember once I was with a pastor and went out on the door of a home and a young lady came to the door and the pastor introduced himself and broke the conversation and she was a Lutheran lady and the pastor witnessed to her and she said, you know, I'm a Lutheran and I believe that if the good that I do outweighs the bad that I'm guilty of when I come to die, then I'll go to heaven. And she said that as sober and as serious and as solemn as I am now trying to preach to you. She really believed that, that if the good she did outweighed the bad she was guilty of, when she came to die, she would go to heaven. Now she was as deceived and as wrong as any person in the world can be. Well, how can a man be just with God? Now the deeds of the law is not the answer. Refraining from pork is not the answer. Being baptized in water is not the answer. Holding out faithful to the end is not the answer. Uh, Doing good works is not the answer. Giving money to carry the gospel is not the answer. Or what is the answer uh, to that all-important question of my text? How can a man be just with God? Now, my soul, I submit to you, this Bible has an answer. Nobody could deny that. I'm not going to appeal to those in the shopping center. I'm not going to appeal to those of various denominations to give me an answer. But I shall tonight resort to the unchangeable, immutable Word of God to find my answer. And if you're wise, you'll resort to the same source to find the the answer to this life-changing, eternal-changing question of my text. How can a man be just with God? Now let's look at Romans 3, beginning with verse number 20, and I think we'll find the answer to this tremendous question. Paul said in verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, There shall be no flesh justified in God's sight. Now that's a pronouncement. There are no qualifications. There are no exceptions. It doesn't apply only to the white and not to the black, or only to the illiterate and not to the educated. There shall be no flesh, that includes the rich, the poor, the learned, the illiterate. There shall be no flesh justified in God's sight by the deeds of the law. Now, if you could keep all ten of the commandments and not break a single one of them from now until the time you die, that would not carry to heaven. And to begin with, the Ten Commandments is only a small fraction of the body of the law. The body of the law is great, almost inexhaustible. And if you were to keep all the law without breaking one single part of it, civil law, moral law, ceremonial law, if you kept every bit of it, all the law of Moses. That would not carry you to heaven. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall be no flesh justified in God's sight. Has it occurred to you that not a single Old Testament personality went to heaven as a result of the brazen altar? Not one. Not one Old Testament personality went to heaven because there was a mercy seat behind the veil. Not one. Now, that sounds like a radical statement to some of you. But that's a matter of fact. The only thing that the law could do with all of its ritual, with its priesthood, with its mercy seat, with its veil that separates, with its brazen altar, was to provide atonement. And I say to you, atonement is not redemption. A long way from redemption. In fact, it's only one year short of eternity from redemption. Redemption. I can't measure that. But atonement was only for one year. And for one year, the Jew was sheltered from the judgment of God if a sacrifice was made at the raising altar and the blood was carried behind the veil. For the next day of atonement, that priest had to bring another lamb to the same altar, go through the same ritual, carry the blood behind the same veil, and offer it at a same mercy seat to find another year of atonement for he and his family. And every sacrifice that was ever made in the economy of the law was pointed toward Calvary, about which Miss Edwards sang about a while ago. And every old testament saint was redeemed at Calvary, just as you and I are redeemed at Calvary. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there should be no flesh justified in God's sight. Atonement is not a New Testament term. And you young preachers keep that in mind. And if I was you, I would refrain from using the word atonement. It's an Old Testament economy entirely. It's found only one time in the New Testament, Romans five eleven, And that one time refers to the economy of the law. Atonement is not a New Testament actuality at all. But in Christ, We have redemption. My judgment is not postponed. My sins are not covered. But my sins are called, And there is therefore now no condemnation to we that are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, if that's the case then, preacher, why the law? The latter part of verse 20, For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The reason God gave the law is to reveal to me and you how desperately we need Calvary. God gave the law that every man might know that he was twice dead and plucked up by the roots. God gave the law that every man might be condemned by the law. And every man is condemned by the law. You look into the mirror of the law, you see the sin that indeed you're guilty of. And there's not one holy man nor good man in this building. The law indicts all as sinners, having fallen short of the glory of God. And so I say to you, by the deeds of the law, no flesh can be justified. Now verse 21, but now, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. That's what we're concerned about. We're occupied tonight with the righteousness of God. And verse 21 tells me that this righteousness of God that we're concerned about is without the law. It's not helped by the law. It's not aided by the law. It's not produced by the law. It's apart from the law, verse 21. But now this righteousness of God is manifested, that is being made evident. And this righteousness without the law was witnessed in the book of the law, in the Pentateuch, and also by all the prophets of the Old Testament. Has it occurred to you that all the prophets wrote about Jesus? And that the whole Bible is about Jesus? I get a little bit upset sometimes when I, when, I, when I hear people give me the impression that the gospel is only in the New Testament. I'd like to remind you that both the all and the new have the same author. The blessed Holy Spirit of God. And I recognize the fact the Holy Spirit used the pen and the mind of different people. But overshadowing and inspiring the pain of every part of the Bible is the Blessed Holy Spirit. I believe in verbal inspiration, by the way. In complete inspiration. And so do you. So the Old Testament witnesses the fact of salvation by faith, and the prophets witness uh, to the fact that the righteousness of God is without the law. Even the righteousness of God, verse 22, which is by faith, or by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Now this is what we're concerned about, the righteousness of God, verse 21 and 22. And this righteousness of God is ours by the faith or the faithfulness of Jesus Christ.
1: And the only way of any righteousness, as far as I'm
0: concerned, is through Jesus Christ my Lord in His vicarious suffering upon the cross. And that's exactly what verse 21 tells me. And this benefit is unto all them that believe, rich and poor, learned or illiterate, unto all and upon them that believe, for there is no difference in that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is not one man that lives in the world tonight, not one in this tabernacle that can honestly say, I have no need of Calvary. Now, you may never bow your knee to Calvary. You may never confess your tongue with your tongue. Jesus is Lord. But the fact remains the last one of them, uh, one of us needs the work of Christ in our hearts. And that's the only thing that's going to redeem that which our Lord did upon Calvary. For all his sinned And come short of the glory of God. That's a blanket indictment of the whole human family. The white house to the poor house. From America to encircle the globe. For all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a great verse. Now verse 25 in my thinking is one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. Look at it in yours for a moment. Whom God, now the whom in verse 25 refers to Christ Jesus. Whom God has set forth to be a perpetuation through faith in His blood. Now what is a perpetuation? God has set forth Jesus to be a perpetuation, or my perpetuation. Uh, In the Old Testament economy, in the law economy, the priest uh, slew the lamb at the brazen altar, and then carried the blood behind the veil, to offer at the mercy seat. And behind the veil, the priest, the high priest, dipped his finger in blood and sprinkled the ground in front of the altar. The ground had no, there was no floor. There was a bare earth. And the priest had no sandals. He was unshod. The, uh, he dipped his finger the second time and sprinkled the mercy seat seven times of the blood. Then that unshod priest stood over on that uncovered ground, sprinkled with blood. And that spot of ground became a place where he could plead as priest for the people of Israel. And as long as he stood in that ground, God heard his mediator work. Now, God has set forth Jesus for my ground of perpetuation. That's why Paul said, I live and move and have my being in Jesus. I stand in him. I live in him. I exist in Him. I'm blessed in Him. My righteousness is in Him. I shouted a while ago because of Him. Did you hear me? I didn't shout a while ago because I think I'm handsome. I didn't shout a while ago because I, I've been pastoring you for 40 years. I didn't shout a while ago because I think I'm successful. I didn't shout a while ago if I know my heart because I think I have any strength in my arm, a power in my hand. But I stood to my feet a while ago to give reverence and glory to Jesus Christ, my Lord, whom God has set forth to be my ground of perpetuation. And I want to testify to you tonight that I live and move and have my being in Jesus Christ. My hope is built upon nothing less than Jesus' name and His righteousness. All of the ground is sinking, saying, I did not trust the sweetest frame, but holy, lean upon Jesus' name. And so God has sent for Jesus to be for me and you what the blood was for the priest as he stood before the mercy seat. Do you think God would ever turn away a miserable sinner as we pled for mercy upon the grounds of the work of Christ upon the cross? If you've got that idea theologically, you're as wrong as you can be. You come to God in the name of Jesus Christ and upon the merit of the finished work of our Lord upon Calvary and God will stop the angels from singing and all the machinery and glory will come to a grind and stop and there will be silence in paradise until God saves your soul. God will never turn down one sinner that came to Him upon the merit of Jesus Christ, my propitiation, you see. God set forth Jesus to be that through faith in his blood now here are the liberals I want the liberals to swallow that I wished I could find every one of these uh, Christ rejectors and blood deniers on the seminary of the Southern Baptists and the colleges of Southern Baptists I don't know of one Southern Baptist seminary eh? but what doesn't have liberals that deny blood atonement Amen. now you know what you're talking about preacher I was 12 years Southern Baptist I know what I'm talking about I graduated from one of their schools I know what I'm talking about yeah. I wish I could preach to all of them tonight. I say, my redemption is upon the virtue and merit of the blood of Jesus.
1: Never forget
0: it. You young preachers, when my tongue is silent in death, you stand up and shout to the world, it's the blood, it's the blood, it's the blood. It's the blood! liberals look at you and smile at you and wink about you let them go ahead in their pernicious way you declare the blood and only the blood provides redemption for the soul of a trusted sinner so it's through his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God now the word forbearance I wish I had time to preach about forbearance that's an Old Testament term And that's not a New Testament term. Uh, In our day, God, in in the old day, the law day, God forbore uh, through the uh, the law and through the sacrifices of the brazen altar. But there is no forbearance in our day. Uh, My judgment is not postponed, but my sins are washed away. I mean, I'm not going to be saved when I get to heaven. My soul, I'm redeemed now. That's why we get excited and shout and praise the Lord, you see. Well, preacher, maybe you don't have it. Maybe I do have it. And brethren, I'm persuaded.
1: I've got it.
0: I'm not going to get it.
1: I have it now.
0: In the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints, I had to go through the ritual of the law. And God in His forbearance accepted that. But that's not so in our day. My sins are remitted now upon the merit of the blood of Jesus. Verse 26. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness. Now, Brother Allen is not trying to declare the righteousness of Baptists. Now, God forbid anybody in this pulpit would ever insinuate that you're saved by joining a Baptist church or being baptized in a Baptist magistrate. God forbid, no, no, we're redeemed by His blood through His righteousness. And we want that declared, that He might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth. I've always been interested in those two terms, that He might be just, and that He might be the justifier. Well, how can He justly forgive me, a guilty sinner? How can God justly forgive me? I'm guilty. I'll not deny it. If I were to even insinuate that I'm not guilty, I'd be a liar. And if I claimed I was not guilty, all of you would know that I'm a liar because all of us have the same bent. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I'm not going to try to justify myself. God forbid, I'd never do that. I could not convince myself. I'd certainly never convince you. Well, how can God, therefore, justly forgive me what I know I'm not a righteous man, naturally. That he might be just and the justifier. Now, the only way that God can justly forgive a guilty sinner is for somebody else to pay the sin debt. And I'd like to report to you that Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, paid my sin debt, took my guilt in his own body and bore it from me as far as the east is from the west. And because Jesus paid my sin debt, God is therefore just when he says to me, Pardon. I'm pardoned, brethren. When you pardon a man, you can't try him for that crime another time. I'm pardoned. My judgment's not postponed. It's removed. I'm justified. And to be justified means that you'll never be otherwise. You don't have to fret about God changing his mind. And when you get to heaven, the Lord say, Well, I had second thoughts about you. No, sir, brother. It's fixed up now. That he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now look at verse 27. Where is boasting there? Now you know the answer. And if you don't know the answer, the Bible spells it out. It is excluded. Brethren, we have nothing to glory in. I'm glad I'm a Baptist. All my people are Baptist. On my dad's side, my other side are Baptist. Uh, there's not a Methodist in our crowd, a Pentecostal, or Presbyterian, or Roman Catholic, and our whole family. I'm glad I'm a Baptist. But I'd be the last person in the world to take any merit upon that fact. I glory in that fact. I want to glory in the fact that I'm a Christian, I've been born again. I can't glory in the fact that I'm a Baptist. I I can't glory in my good works. I can only glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. Where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what law? Second question. Third question. By what works? Now God gave an answer to those two questions as well. He said, Nay, not by law nor by works. There's not one person in this building tonight justified by the deeds of the law, nor by any amount of good works. You name it. By any amount of good works. There's not one person in this building that works more diligently than Brother Sammy Alley, And he'd be the last one to stand up and insinuate that he was going to heaven because he built this camp, or worked hard at it. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't be that ignorant. The man stood up and claimed uh, such a foolish thing as that, why he'd admit that he was ignorant of the Scriptures. We're not, not glorying in our wants, nor in the law. And we're justified by neither. And then in the last clause, here is the answer to the question I started out with a moment ago in Job 9.2. How can a man be just with God? Now here's the answer. By the law of faith. And that's it. <laughs> that's a little bit too simple, preacher. But that's it by the law of faith. That's the answer. Not by the waters of baptism, nor by the math of Catholicism, nor by the law of the seventy Adventists, nor by the good works that we've had this, nor by the fervent giving that you demonstrated a moment ago. In none of those things is one sin removed. How can a man be just with God by the law of faith? This is the only place in the Bible you find that terminology. The law of faith. Underscore it. Don't ever forget it. There's some things that God fixes for eternity. The law of gravity is fixed. The law of sowing and reaping is fixed. Some things you you don't touch. They're fixed from creation. And when God made a way of redemption, He made it foolproof. When God made the way of redemption, He shut the mouths of all the denominations. When God made the way of redemption, He said to the Catholic, Shut up! He said to the Baptist, Shut up! He said to the Pentecostals, Shut up! When God made the way of redemption, He said, You're saved by the law of faith. The just shall live by faith in the crucified Savior. Now verse 28, Therefore, We conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. What other conclusion could you come to? If you read the Bible, as I have tonight, I haven't preached to any outline, I've read the Bible. If you read the Bible, you can only come to the same conclusion. That a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Whatever they might be, they are meaningless and they are worthless. A man is justified by faith. Without the deeds of the law. Now I want you to turn back in the Bible to Ezekiel 16. I want to give you a little illustration of what it means to be redeemed and saved. And uh, this will illustrate with an Old Testament illustration better than I can say it in words. About how to be redeemed. Or what happens when you are redeemed. And saved in the grace of God. Now uh, may I say this while you turn back to page number Uh, 854 in your school field. I take for granted you have a school field. If you don't have one, you're in bad need of a Bible. Page 854.
1: You're not saved by experience.
0: You're not saved by emotion. I really believe some people expect an experience. And until they have some kind of an experience, they'll never come to trust Jesus Christ. But I'd like to remind you that you're saved by faith without emotion, without experience, without any feeling. And that the experience follows faith. Now don't get the cart for the horse. When I was converted as a lad, there wasn't any kind of shouting like we had a while ago. I mean none, far as I can remember. My daddy didn't shout, my mother didn't shout, I wish they had. My mother didn't cry, my daddy didn't cry. I see no fault with that. My pastor didn't get excited. I wished he had gotten excited. But I guess he figured just another lad. Well, actually, that's what it amounted to. Just another lad. Came to the altar and accepted Jesus. If you'd asked me then to write a thesis on justification, you'd have disqualified me. I'd have never got in. I'd have never been able to join the church. I couldn't have done that. The only thing I knew about theology was that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And I accepted that as a lad, and God saved my soul. There was no feeling, there was no emotion. And I wished a thousand times that I'd had a Pauline Damascus Road experience. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I get up, I hear people get up and testify about how they felt and how they wept and how they shouted. And in my soul, I say, Lord, why did You give me that? But I can't go back and redo it. What I have written, I have written. I can't undo it. I can't redo it. I wish I had the experience some of you have had, but I didn't. But I've got the same faith you've got. And I've got a kindred spirit. I felt the presence of God a while ago. I sure did. I've got like precious faith. I don't have that shouted experience I didn't have when I was born again. In fact, I was in the ministry before I ever had any emotion. I was read right up in a church where there was no amens, let alone emotion. I was in the ministry before I ever heard nobody shout. I've never been to that many Pentecostal churches in my life. Don't plan to start going.
1: Well, how'd you learn to shout?
0: I learned to shout among Baptist people, amen. Amen. I learned to shout when God warmed my soul and fanned the flame that burns in my bosom. I didn't have to have a seminar on how to shout. I kind of resent these Pentecostal people trying to teach people to talk in tongues. That, that's silly. That's absurd. If the thing was real, you wouldn't have to teach them how to do it. They'd just naturally do it. And the fact that some people have to be taught to do it is a pretty good indication that it's not real. Suppose you had to teach a baby how to, how to enjoy milk. Or teach a baby how to cry. You don't have to... So you have to teach a man how to enjoy a beefsteak. Oh, no, you just you just got that. <laughs> Amen. All right. But here is a born-again experience in typology in the Old Testament. Verse 1, Ezekiel 16. Again the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, Call Jerusalem to know her abominations. And that's not a pleasant thing. No preacher enjoys that. Any preacher that I know of would rather... Uh, preach about heaven than to preach on hell I never have I've been preaching a long time but I never have got to where I enjoyed preaching on hell and I don't preach on hell except I get direct orders the only way you ever get a hell sermon at Tabernacle is for God to say put her on there boy and then I'll argue with the Lord a little bit but he has his way and every once in a while I give him hell but I never have got to the place I enjoyed it I don't enjoy browbeating my people. I've heard pastors browbeat their people until I felt sorry for them. I don't enjoy that. I have to do it every once in a while, but I don't enjoy that. But God said, to Ezekiel, uh, tell your people to know their abominations. That's a strong word. That's a little bit stronger than sin. And say in the process, Thus saith the Lord God unto Jerusalem, Thy birth and thy nativity is of the land of Canaan. Thy father was an armorite. And our mother was a Hittite. That'll get the starts out of them. They say, we have Abraham as our father. You just tell these Jews in Jerusalem, I know who Abraham's daddy was. They're nobody. You may be a Jew, but you're not much better off except an Abraham than I am as a Gentile. As far as your heritage beyond Abraham is concerned, you're from the same stock I am. God in mercy he selected Abraham and made a great a Jew nation but Abraham came from the same mired clay that we Gentile came from I don't think Abraham looked like a Jew or talked like a Jew I don't think he had enough sense to be a Jew I think the first real Jew that ever lived was Isaac I think he had wavy hair and looked like Henry Kissinger I don't think Abraham looked a bit like Henry Kissinger but Isaac was a natural-born Jew. Uh, Abraham was a recreated Jew. but Isaac was born a Jew, and he had a, a Roman nose and, uh, and a Jewish hair and olive complexion and a high IQ. They got it up here over with Gentiles. Well they haven't got it over down here over with Gentiles, but they've got it up here. And, but you just tell these Jews, I know who Abraham's daddy was. His father was an Amorite And his mother was a Hittite That'll get the starch out of them As for your nativity In the day that thou wast born Thy navel was not cut Neither wast thou washed in water to supply thee Thou wast not salted at all nor swallowed at all When you were born Nobody pitied thee To do any of these things unto thee or To have any compassion upon thee But instead when you were born You were cast out into the open field To the loathing of thy person In the day that thou wast born Now that's a pitiful looking sight And that's the state Of Abraham before uh, God called him to be the first Hebrew I know where you came from And when you were born You were cast out into the open field To the loathing of all that passed by Now that's not only a picture of Abraham Before uh, he was chosen To be the first Hebrew But it's a picture of me and you In our natural state We're like that baby. No eye pitied us. None of the necessary things were done to us. We were not swaddled or assaulted at all. But at our birth we were cast out into the open field. And the blood and the corruption was still there. And people passed by, looked at us to the loafing of our person. We were a mess. We were a mess. And looked the part of it a hundred percent. But he goes on to say, when I passed by thee, and he's speaking for God now, when I passed by thee, and when I saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when I saw thee polluted in thy blood, live! Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live! That's the born-again experience. And when God looks down on you from the miry clay, You polluted in self, in sin, in degradation, and God says, live. My soul, you've got it. And you don't get what I'm talking about until God says, live. Well, I think I'll reform. That won't do you much good. Well, I think I'll start going to church. That won't do you much good. I think I'll give some money to the poor. That won't do you any good. You must be born again. God said, when I passed by thee and saw thee, though nobody else had any pity for you, I loved you. And I said, live. That's why I'm saved tonight. Why God saw me and why He loved me, I've never understood. Some of the boys that I played ball with as a lad are dead and are in hell. There's a boy in Greenville now in the hospital, three years older than I am, that I used to play golf with as a teenager. And I lived close to him all my life as a lad in the hospital about to die. Never has been a church man. If he's ever been to church a dozen times in his life, I don't know it. I mean, when he's a boy, I, my mother and dad carried me to church. And I went to church every Sunday and played golf with him on Saturday. Good old boy. I liked him. Good golfer. And when I was a teenager, I used to play a lot of golf. And played with him a good deal. And we enjoyed playing the game together. And he was not, I don't get me out of here, he was a criminal. I never remember hearing him cuss. Good boy, but just not a church boy. Still isn't. As far as I know, just still without God. Why did God say to me, live? And didn't say that to him. Now, if I knew the answer to that, I'd have to have the mind of God. I don't know the answer to that. But I'm so glad God said to me when I was polluted and helpless and hopeless in my own blood, live. And then God goes on to say, I caused thee to multiply as the, bud of the, uh, as the bud of the field, and thou hast increased in wax and great. Thou art come to excellent ornaments, thy breast to fashion, thy hair is grown, whereas thou wast naked. Everything you are tonight, I cause thee to be. Verse number 7. Look at it in your Bible. If you can sing, I cause thee to be. If you can preach... I cause thee to be. If you can make money, I cause thee to be. If God's given you a good family, I cause thee to be. Everything you have, you owe to God.
1: If God had not enabled,
0: you'd have nothing. God help us to see that. Thanksgiving week, oh, how we ought to be on our page giving God glory for manifold blessings. Everything of God is from God. I cause thee to multiply. If left alone, we'd flounder. If left alone, we'd never achieve. If left alone, we're nothing. I cause thee to multiply. Preachers, don't you forget that. God gives you a little blessing, shout about it. God gives you a little victory, shout about it. God gives you one soul, get excited about that and praise God for it. Amen. Amen. I cause thee, everything you've got, God gives you. Don't take any glory to yourself. Now look at verse 8. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, it was a time of love. Here is the key. Here is the answer. God loved me when nobody else did. When I passed by thee, it was a time of love. And it was all a time of love until I spread my skirt of grace over you and covered thy nakedness. And I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee, and thou becamest mine. I couldn't pull the cover over me. God covered me up. I was a babe, helpless and hopeless, dying and polluted. But he saw me and spread his skirt upon me. And I've been abiding under the shadow of that skirt and the shelter of that skirt now for fifty years. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that has brought me safe thus far. The old devil is a roaring lion, going up and down of the earth seeking whom he may devour. But I'd like to remind you there's some whom he cannot devour. And those whom he cannot devour are those sheltered under the skirt of God's mercy and grace. Then look at the next verse, verse 9. I wash thee with water. Ye, I thoroughly wash away thy blood from thee. That's what this camp meeting does. It washes a lot of us. The washing of the Word of God sanctifies a lot of us, doesn't it? Amen. We go home more holy than we came. I anointed thee with all. has yes, the filling of God's Spirit. God gave me not only life, but He gave me the Holy Spirit as well. To empower and to energize. Verse 13. I clothed thee with embroidered work. I shod thee with badger skin. I girded thee with fine linen. I covered thee with silk. I decked thee also with ornaments. I put bracelets upon your hands and chains about your neck. I put jewels in your forehead and earrings upon thy ears and a beautiful crown upon your head. I decked thee with gold and silver. Thy clothing was fine linen and silk and embroidered work. Thou didst eat fine flour and honey and oil. Thou wast exceeding beautiful and did prosper into a great kingdom. From nothing to everything in the grace of God. Now you read that chapter and you find out that baby did nothing. God did it all. The sinner provides only the sinner. God provides sufficient grace. How can a man be just with God by the law of faith. And I'm prepared to declare to you that if you'll trust Jesus Christ, you can have eternal and everlasting life. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org.